Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Across Storied Lands. I'm your host, Jordana Manchester, a Canadian-born writer, travel advisor, and anthropology enthusiast. Each week, this podcast will feature themes around travel, culture, and the human condition. But first, I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Squamish Nation, proud descendants of the Coast Salish Aboriginal peoples. Now that we've acknowledged the ancestors and living keepers of this great land, let's dive in. So last week was the very first episode of my long-anticipated Pandemic Love series. If you haven't listened to that episode yet and you have no idea what I'm talking about, Pandemic Love is a collective of stories submitted to me from storytellers around the world. Each story is themed around love, the pandemic, and travel. This week was supposed to be part two of that series, so I'm really sorry if you're coming back to listen to that second installment, but a really important day is coming up. And because culture and anthropology are also central themes of this podcast, I felt it was important to put Pandemic Love on a very brief pause and stop to acknowledge what I think is a pivotal point in our history. We are moving through what feels like a new racial revolution, one where much of the world is literally muting themselves for the first time to amplify voices of color, Indigenous peoples, and vulnerable communities. I think it's important not just to amplify the voices of today, but to echo the voices of our ancestors who worked tirelessly, endured unspeakable traumas, and sacrificed their lives to achieve freedom and equality. Now more than ever, it's time to look back on history, to finally learn from our mistakes, to right those wrongs, to have thoughtful and respectful dialogues with our children and with each other, and to create a solid framework that allows each individual to step out into their community and feel freedom to go about their lives safely and peacefully. Today is a time for reconciliation and self-education. So in light of that, today I'll be giving you a brief history on what I believe to be the second most important day in American history. A day that should never have had to become marked by an occasion, one that was long overdue and incomplete. And just a disclaimer, today's topic is a painful one and some of the language may not be appropriate for the ears of very small children, just in case you're listening to this out loud. I'll leave the decision up to you, of course. As a mom, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Now, let's talk about Juneteenth Day. The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. General Orders Number 3, Headquarters District of Texas, Galveston, June 19, 1865. These were the official orders read out by Major General Gordon Granger. Granger, along with more than 1,800 federal troops, arrived in Galveston, Texas to take control of the state and free more than 250,000 enslaved individuals living in the state of Texas. But before we go and hail Granger hero, listen to those fateful words. Remain quietly at their present homes. 
They will not be allowed to collect at military posts, and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. Meaning, continue to work for your masters. Their crimes against you and your families mean nothing. Continue to work in substandard working conditions. Continue to endure further abuse. At least you're getting paid for it. And don't complain to us because neither the state or the nation are willing to take care of you, even though you were born into slavery. Doesn't sound like equality to me. Well, June 19, 1865 was a day met with jubilation for many and was representative of the beginning to the end of slavery. It was an order that was two years overdue. And in the years thereafter, millions of freed men and freed women continued to endure atrocities for another century and a half. Atrocities that still haunt generations today in a nation that is still at war with systemic racism. The Emancipation Proclamation It is impossible to fully understand the significance of June 19, 1865 without discussing the Emancipation Proclamation. Juneteenth was not the official end of slavery in the United States, or in Texas for that matter. The enslaved of Texas were already free, technically. See, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, a full two years before Juneteenth Day. This proclamation changed the legal status of more than 3.5 million enslaved African Americans in the Confederate States. Now, just a refresher, the Confederation included South Carolina, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas. Now, what the proclamation didn't do was free those who remained enslaved in the border states and those who were not loyal to the Union. Now, I know this opinion may be controversial, but I've never believed that Lincoln's intentions behind the proclamation were altruistic. He once responded to a scathing editorial in the New York Tribune saying, If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. The Emancipation Proclamation, while it was a decree that was set to free millions of enslaved peoples, it was also an integral part of his war plans. And it could solve a number of immediate concerns. In the midst of a civil war, Lincoln was worried about the possibility of European nations legitimizing the Confederacy, which would have had a catastrophic effect on the Union. Lincoln had also, also needed to address a serious lack of manpower that was needed to bolster his Union cause. He realized that by incentivizing Southern slaves and convincing them to come north to join the Union Army, it would have a severe impact on powerful plantation owners in the South. So. 186,000 black Civil War soldiers would join the Union Army by the time the war ended in 1865, and some 38,000 lost their lives. The Emancipation Proclamation was also a way to ensure European nations who supported abolition, like England and France, did not insert themselves in matters of the Union. Even though both of these nations benefited heavily from the cotton industry, an industry that would not have existed without enslaved labor, to support the Confederacy would be a serious hypocrisy. In the end, however you feel about Abraham Lincoln as a man or a politician, his actions did lead to the beginning of the end of slavery in the United States. So why was Juneteenth necessary, and was it truly the road to freedom? 
If Lincoln had already issued his Emancipation Proclamation, what was the significance of Major Granger's orders on that fateful day? If Lincoln had already freed the enslaved of the Confederate States, which included Texas, why were African Americans still enslaved in that state two years after the proclamation? Well, when slavery was abolished in the other states, in several of the lower southern territories, the notion of emancipation was met with resistance from plantation owners. They weren't about to lose their livelihood just so their workforce could go free. So there was a migration of sorts. Plantation owners fled from approaching Union soldiers in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, and they took with them more than 100,000 enslaved African Americans. They set up shop and began working plantations in Texas, where they knew the news of emancipation would reach their enslaved workforce at a much slower, more manageable pace. And those owners who held fast in periphery states successfully negotiated with or bribed Union troops to allow them to keep their laborers until the end of the harvest. Major Granger's orders were meant to enforce Lincoln's proclamation and weaken the Confederate resistance. Freedom. But at what cost? We all walked down the road singing and shouting to beat the band. Molly Harrell, a freedwoman, shared her jubilation in a book entitled The Slave Narratives of Texas. Another storyteller, Lou Smith, said, I ran off and hid in the plum orchard and said over and over, I's free, I's free, I ain't never going back to Miss Joe." After Granger read out those orders in Galveston, thousands of enslaved African Americans across Texas took leave from their owners and set off not just to start new lives, but to find stolen, sold, and traded loved ones. Mothers went in search of stolen babies, children in search of kidnapped parents and siblings, husbands and wives who had married in secret but were torn apart by the agendas of plantation owners. The newly freed of Texas joined the more than 3.5 million broken, battered souls who had courageously set forth to break free from their chains and forge new paths. But this initial jubilation fell to a hush as they quickly realized they weren't free at all. As Frederick Douglass, suffragist, abolitionist, and social reformer once said, without roofs to cover them, or bread to eat, or land to cultivate, his people would never be free. And just when the government seemed to be taking steps towards the development in the form of social services under the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands in Texas, trouble brewed, and an all-white anti-abolitionist group began to materialize with a strange moniker. They called themselves the Ku Klux Klan. The KKK and their army of sympathizers made it their business to descend on gatherings of freed men and women, interpreting such gatherings as acts of aggression and giving themselves permission to commit the most heinous crimes. Texas was meant to be rebuilt under a piece of legislation called the Reconstruction Act. The military commander who was charged with enforcing and overseeing the Reconstruction Act in Texas once wrote to his superiors about the crime against blacks, stating... In some counties, the civil officers are all, or a portion of them, members of the Klan. The murder of Negroes is so common as it would render it impossible to keep an accurate account of them. Some of the offenses committed by these freed men and women included not removing their hat when passing a white man, or not allowing themselves to be whipped, or they didn't have hand over their money quick enough. All written accounts made by whites, documented by several historians over a century. This wasn't freedom. 
This was just another kind of enslavement. Still so much work to be done. Slavery wasn't officially abolished, and I use the term abolished loosely, in the United States until the 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865. That's six months after Juneteenth, and that's two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. The amendment read as follows. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime whereof the party have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. But the status of post-war and post-emancipation Southern Blacks remained an inconvenience to majority white constituents. So white Southerners re-established civil authority in the former Confederate States over 1865 into 1866 and enacted a series of laws known as the Black Codes and the Jim Crow Laws. These were a series of rules enforced to restrict African-American rights to things like ownership of property, legalized marriage, they were given limited access to courts for litigation, they were not permitted to testify against whites or serve on juries or vote, and they couldn't start a job without previous permission from their employer. So you're beginning to get the picture. This was so-called freedom in the post-Juneteenth and Emancipation era. And while 1866 sounds like such a long time ago, let's not forget that survivors of segregation are still alive today. It was only in 1955 that Ms. Rosa Parks went against the City of Montgomery's racial ordinance and refused to give up her seat to a white man. It was only in 1959 that the National Guard was called in to protect nine innocent African-American students who were attending Little Rock High School in Arkansas. It was only in 1965 that the Voting Rights Act was passed, an act that sought to overcome the legal barriers that existed at the local and state level that prevented African-American citizens from exercising the right to vote, something that was supposedly given to them by the 15th Amendment. Fast forward to today, the first African-American president was only voted into power in 2008, after a 219-year history of all-white presidents. Despite being the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States, Juneteenth Day is still not a national holiday. Although as a senator, Barack Obama co-sponsored legislation to make it so, and it didn't pass. He again attempted to pass it as president and was met resistance. It still didn't pass. Nonetheless, today it's still widely celebrated across the nation and is not just celebrated by the African-American community. Allies to the community have lent their support and joined in on festivities and traditions. Descendants of the enslaved have been known to make pilgrimages to Galveston to honor their ancestors on this day. And it has long been a tradition to wear your very best to mark the occasion. During the era of enslavement, African Americans were forbidden to wear fine clothing. So in the early days of the Juneteenth Day celebrations, former slaves would throw their plantation garments into nearby rivers and instead wear all the finery that was only reserved for plantation owners. Juneteenth Day celebrations have waxed and waned over the last century and a half, interrupted by the depression, oppressive and racist laws, and extremist white national groups. It gained momentum again in the 1960s and 1970s during the Civil Rights era, and it hit a fever pitch when Texas formally named it an official state holiday, thanks to the efforts of Al Edwards, an African-American state legislator. 
It's my hope that Juneteenth Day becomes a national holiday and that celebrations and allies to the community across the world continue to grow every year. If you want to learn more about Juneteenth Day, JuneteenthDay.com, founded by Cliff Robinson, is a fantastic place to start. The website is the premier online site for Juneteenth-related information, activities, and supplies, and is dedicated to those individuals and organizations that have worked tirelessly to continue the recognition and tradition of Juneteenth. And no, this episode is not sponsored by them. I just think they're a great resource. And if you're looking for resources on anti-racism, blacklivesmatter.com or blacklivesmatter.ca are sites chock full of resources. Or you can read books like We Are Not Yet Equal, Understanding Our Racial Divide by Carol Anderson and Tanya Bolden, Killing the Black Body, Race, Reproduction, and the Meaning of Liberty by Dorothy Roberts, and How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi are all bodies of work that will help you start your journey towards understanding and dissolving racial biases. Now, I understand this is a horrendously watered-down, severely anemic timeline of what has happened to the African-American community since 1865, and it is no way complete. It's just a very brief history, a small soundbite of the true significance of Juneteenth Day. And trust me when I say I've spent hours and hours getting lost in historical archives, reading first and second-hand accounts of enslaved men and women, reading about the sung and unsung heroes and heroines of the African-American community before, during, and after enslavement. The revolution that is going on today has become a catalyst for me personally to further my own education on African-American history. And I've only just barely scratched the surface. See, this history is also mine. I told you I was bi-ethnic. What I didn't mention is that I'm actually half African-American. This is part of my story. And that's it for this week's episode of Across Storied Lands. I know this week was a heavy one. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. I hope you're able to take something meaningful away from this episode. If you have questions about this episode or have a suggestion for future topics, please feel free to send me an email at jordana at storylandstravel.com. Or if you're listening to me on Anchor, you can leave me a voicemail. I'm proud to say that my podcast is now available on seven different platforms, including Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. I know many of you are listening to me on Spotify, so hit that subscribe button so you're notified the moment a new episode drops. If you've been enjoying the content here on Across Storied Lands, please leave a review or share with a friend. Thanks again, and remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. <laughs>